Welcome to Hope Community Church's Sermon of the Week. It's our prayer that this message will encourage and equip you to love like Jesus. To learn more about Hope, visit us at hccalive.com. Now enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Hope Church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Bo. And um, I first of all have to give you a thank you. Because every time, three or four times a year that I get to preach, I get to look into the Word more deeply, more so than just my daily Bible reading, my journaling, or my meditation. I get to really get deeply into the Word, and it really invigorates me. And so I have to say thank you for this opportunity. It's really humbling. Today I get the opportunity to talk to you about a seemingly impossible topic. And that topic is the topic of unity. You know, I might ruffle some of your feathers by placing what the Lord calls us to do squarely on your shoulders and put a little blame on you. But I know that if I do it out of love, as Trenton spoke to us a few weeks ago, that we can all take it. Before we get started, though, I would ask that uh, you please bow your heads in prayer for this message. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with praise that we are able to come together as a church family. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us on this message of unity. We pray, Lord, as we come to the 20th anniversary of 9-11, that we never have to come together in unity because of a terrorist attack. We pray that we would gain better understanding of what unity is according to your word, and that we'd be moved by the Holy Spirit to go out and change the world and promote unity. I ask that you would use me to be an agent of unity and that your words and not mine would fill the hearts of each person here. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. No, you'd have to have been a castaway on a desert island like Tom Hanks in the movie aptly named Castaway to not realize that we live in a nation and a world that lacks unity. No, unity can be really simple. It can be as simple as whether or not to get rid of Aaron Rodgers at the end of this season. You know, I know the Bears, Lions, and Vikings fans would like that, but that's the simplest that unity, disunity can be. It can be more complex. It can be related to our political affiliations and how our government can best serve the needs of its citizenry. A little more important than the Aaron Rodgers question, but equally as um, divisive. Or it can be really complex when we get into the inner workings of Middle East peace, the hatred between the Jews and the Palestinians, the hatred between the Muslims and the Christians, and now more recently, the divisiveness between the Afghan people and their Taliban captors. It doesn't matter which one of these we choose. All are clearly examples of a lack of unity. But there is hope. By the end of this message today, I hope to clearly define what unity means for each one of us as Christians and what each of us needs to do to promote unity in the areas in which we have influence. Now the first thing I'm going to place clearly on your shoulders is this. We need to change our attitude and our perception of unity. Or better yet, maybe I should say our lack of unity. Because we seem to focus on those things which bring 
disunity or divisiveness into our own lives. We don't worry about anybody else. We only worry about ourselves. And so the first thing we need to do, and I say this out of love, we need to change our attitude about unity. We need to focus instead on those things which unite us as opposed to those things which ruffle our feathers and cause disunity. There's many examples of this in areas which you think there would be um, disunity. And as many of you know, I'm a sports guy. I played sports. I coach sports. I like everything Badgers, Packers, Brewers, and I like watching Bucks highlights. Can't sit through a whole NBA game yet. But we'll get to that shortly. Okay? But sports is more unifying, in my estimation, than it is dividing. One need to look no farther than our world champion, Milwaukee Bucks. Did you see the Deer District on the sixth game of the NBA championship? There were literally tens of thousands of people with different political views, religious views, and worldviews in attendance there. Yet it didn't seem like they were disunited, that they were separated by anything. As a matter of fact, it seems like there was pure joy there. High fives, hugs, celebratory drinks, whatever the case may be, they were there united in a single thread of unity. Travis, do you know what that thread of unity was? That's right, bucks and six, okay? You know, the dictionary defines unity as a state of being united and joined as a whole. I'm sure each of you has a definition sort of similar to that in your minds right now. Just think about joined as a whole for a minute, however. For this to be so, we have to be like-minded or at least tolerant of views that are not like our own. I alluded to this earlier in this message. And the Bible is full of passages about unity, but before we tackle one in particular, let's consider all the things that we have in common as opposed to all the things that cause us to be separated. First and foremost, all of us are united in sin. Romans 3.23 reminds us of this when it states, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This in itself should be a unifying element for all of us. We're all imperfect. Only one man was perfect, and we all know that was Jesus Christ. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our imperfections. So how can any of us hold a superior um, standing over anybody with our opinions and our views? Really, we shouldn't because we're all imperfect in sin. So first and foremost... We are united in sin. Second, we're all united in the saving gift of Christ's grace. It says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. All humankind has the ability to accept this gift. The difference between those who accept it and those who don't can be a separating factor or uh, disunify us, if you will, in our lives. Again, though, how can we put ourselves above another person knowing that our being saved had nothing to do with us at all? It simply had to do with a gift from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So second, we are unified in the saving gift of grace 
from Christ. Lastly, we all share a desire to be saved. Now, it's human nature to want to be nurtured, to want to be loved, to be saved, if you will. As a matter of fact, there's a psychological theory known as psychological egoism that says this. Each person has but one ultimate aim in their life. And that one ultimate aim is to look out for their own well-being and their own welfare. It makes sense to me that this means that we all want to be saved. Because we're looking out for our own self-interest, what else would we want other than to be saved? The Apostle Paul saw this psychological egoism in the people of Philippi. And he wrote about it in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, when he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Like I said, it seems to reason then that egoism would create a desire for each of us to want to be saved. And luckily, we have the word, the Bible, to give us a blueprint on how to be saved and the effects of being saved. Now, one real cool thing also, not only do we want to be saved, but God our Father wants to save each and every one of us. <coughs> Excuse me. It says in 1 Timothy verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3, I should say, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. I use this for two reasons because I thought it was so awesome that God wants to save each of us, each of us who is imperfect, each of us who is a sinner. But I use it also because it makes a great segue for us into the next part that I wish to talk about, our call to be unified in Christ. Some of you may know the name Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was a mid-1800 to late-1800s lecturer, essayist, and writer. And he was what is known as a transcendentalist. He looked more to the spirituality of nature as opposed to Christianity. Nobody ever would have confused him for being a Christian. But despite this, he said something that really caught my eye about unity. And it seems like it's a good uh, connecting point to the rest of my message today. Here's what he said. The reason why the world lacks unity and lies broken and in heaps is because man is disunited with himself. Man is disunited with himself. So this could be all of mankind is disunited with themselves, which seems like that's what the world's about today. But I think what he's more talking about here is how we struggle inwardly and are disunited with um, ourselves because of Satan, because um, sometimes we feel that God is confusing or whatever the case may be, but we're disunited with ourselves. And so it made sense to me that what he was saying was that man desires a higher being to be a part of their lives. For him, it was 
some sort of spirituality, but for us as Christians, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the desire that each of us have so that we are not disunited with ourselves. I believe that the greatest single unifying factor in our lives is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ calls us to be unified in him. I want you to remember this, however. It was never Christ's design to set up a conscious world of uniformity. He didn't want us to be like a bunch of soldiers marching in step with one another. He wanted us to have individualism, to have these personalities that were different. But remember this also. It was his desire that there be unity in him. John 17, verses 20 to 23, state this really quite clearly. It says the following. I do not ask for these only, he's talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So what does all of this mean? First, let me give you a little context to what this verse is. This is a prayer by Jesus Christ to God his Father for the disciples that he's sending out on the Great Commission. He's asking that the Lord watch over them, that the Lord take care of them. But he's also asking that their work glorify God the Father. And so what he's saying here is what we need to um, listen very carefully to. He's calling them, and he's calling us, I believe, to him, to be unified in him. The picture being painted of God the Father and God the Son being one really drives this unity idea home for me. Christ is praying that he and the Father be seen as one, unity. And that in the same way that the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, that we too would be united in them so that they, God the Father and the Son, would be seen in us. This is the unifying thing that Christ is praying for in this prayer. When Christ is seen in all of us, the Lord is glorified for the whole entire world to see. And when the whole entire world sees that there's one true God, that is a unifying rather than a divisive factor. Because there is one true God for us as Christians. Now putting it more succinctly, I'd put it like this. Christ is praying that we may all be one as he is one with his Father. The second part of this message reemphasizes what we've been hearing over the last few weeks from Ben, from Trenton, and from Pastor Jed in relation to our mission and our vision and our culture here at Hope Church. Let's look again at verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one 
so that the world may know that you sent me and, here's the key in my estimation, love them as you loved me. Quite simply, the messages we've been hearing about our culture seem to have the common element of love associated with them. This love is clearly not just any old love, though. This love is a love for a heavenly father, for his son, and for all of his earthly children. If this were a math equation, it might be something like this. Christ equals love equals unity. Yeah, most of you notice I'm not a math major. I was a history major and a political science major. But it really is as simple as that. The fact that you cannot have love without Christ and you cannot have unity without love is just that simple. I'll take it even a step further and I say this out of love once again. I don't believe that you can call yourself a Christian if you're not an example of love because Christ is love. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9 makes this really clear for us. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we are called by Christ to be unified in him. And if we're called by Christ to be unified in him, that means that we also have to love like Jesus. I hope that sounds familiar. We've been talking about it since April. Love like Jesus. And so now the question becomes, how do I love like Jesus? What can I do to step into the calling that Christ has called us to be unified in him and show that love of Christ? I'm going to give you four suggestions. The first is this. Appreciate diversity while honoring our common need for Christ and our Christian values. I think this is really pretty clear, but let me say it in another way. You don't need to condone the sin, but you should love the sinner as Christ loves us. Second, look for signs of grace, not evidence of sin or weakness. I believe this is what Trenton was trying to get at a few weeks ago when he mentioned, take the plank out of your own eye first before you take the speck out of your neighbor's. Don't look for evidence of sin or weakness, but signs of grace. Third, be the first to try reconciliation. No, I'm not talking about the type of reconciliation they're using in Congress these days. I'm talking about true reconciliation. If I've been too political, I apologize. But true reconciliation. Fourth, revisit Bible verses about loving one another. The word love is mentioned 348 times in the Bible, and there's 12 specific passages about loving one another. We can find examples of this in 1 Peter 1, verse 22, when it states, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. 
Now you're going, Bo, those are all great suggestions, but where on earth do I start? Well, I put it last, but really it should be first. I believe that if we get into God's word and we look for passages about how God loves, about the love of Jesus Christ, then I believe our calling becomes much easier. And then these other ones, appreciating diversity, looking for signs of grace, and being the first to try reconciliation, come much, much easier. So jump into your word, jump into the Bible, and look for how uh, Christ loves us and how we, in turn, can love like Jesus. After all, we're called to do that. That brings us unified, brings us a unity in this nation. So give these four suggestions a try. I think you'll find that unity in Christ and unity in general might become just a little bit easier. Might become just a little bit clearer. Remember, we strive for unity in Christ because Christ calls us to live in unity with him as Christians. In closing, I would ask that we pray together as a unified church family. And today I'm going to ask us in just a moment to say the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer was a prayer which unified Christ's apostles and which unifies all of God's children. And when we read the, or say the part um, on earth as it is in heaven, I want us to think about the oneness of Christ with his Father and how they're asking us, they're calling us to be unified in them. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. To learn more about Hope Community Church, go to hccalive.com and click on the hub. Don't forget to subscribe and may we continue to love like Jesus.